Hey there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Line Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be. Welcome to uh, White Line Fever. I think we're up to episode 88. My name is Steve Mascord, and our very first guest, Michael Wilton from Queensryche. How are you, Michael? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm in Seattle, getting ready to take off on the next leg of the uh, Queensryche uh, Conditioned Human Tour. Now, the reason we're speaking, is, and it was very quickly organised, this interview, is that you announced um, some Australian uh, tour dates. I'd imagine that you have been... Well, it's, it's, since you're back in Seattle, you have had a bit of downtime, but pretty much since uh, Condition Human came out, you, you've been on the road, haven't you? Yeah, we've been uh, touring uh, quite extensively and really just uh, promoting this the best we can and uh, lots and lots of, lots of touring involved. So uh, we're really happy you know, that we get to go to Australia. I mean, it's been since 2011, mm. and... Uh, you know, it's going to be a really great experience for us as well as, I'm sure, for the uh, fans as well. I read an interview where you were saying that every time you get invited back to a territory or every time you chart in a territory where you haven't um, done so since the 90s, that it's almost an endorsement of what you're doing at the moment with Todd Latore. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's just a an evolution that's happening with the band again. And it's a really exciting time to be in Queensryche. And, um, you know, when, when condition... Human was uh, released in last October. Uh, it was received, you know, worldwide uh, with uh, great, great reviews. And subsequently, uh, like you said, you know, it's charted in countries um, that we haven't charted in, you know, since like the 90s. So mm. um, it's it's very gratifying, you know, all the hard work that you put into something to see something like that, you know, happen and transpire. I think, uh, um, you know, it, it says wonders. Are you already looking ahead to the next next record, or is it, or, or have you got a, you know, you, like by the time you get here, will you have um, new songs written? Will you be ready to go into the studio, or, or have you not crossed that bridge yet? Um, actually, we've spoken about uh, starting the next record, so I think we're going to uh, get that going in January. I, I know the the Condition Human Tour ends in, in December, so we'll have a little time off. So that means, yes, on the road, we'll be writing, writing, and writing. Mm. You know, it's just a matter of, of keeping the juices flowing and, and keeping the ideas, you know, getting a great arsenal of uh, ideas, um, no matter how co- accomplished they are or how small they are. It could be a riff, it could be a lyric, it could be a whole song, it could be whatever. Mm. But, you know, we just kind of welcome it all and then, uh, you know, put it all together and build it. I'm sure you've that's read... That's what's fun about being a band sure. again, you know. That's what's mm. fun about being a band. You know, you got everybody contributing and just building the process of, uh, um, you know, making the album exciting and, and uh, you know, and it's just a lot of pushing and pulling and, and getting people, you know, on the same page and it's just a, you know, it's a lot of fun again. I, I'm sure you've read a lot of opinions about how the other people see your style now with Todd, but I mean, I ask, how would you sum up the change? I mean, I, I just was thinking like, I can't imagine you doing a song like Hotspot Junkie now. <laughs> so, I mean, like, no. How 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 would you sort of sum up the the change in style and focus? You know that that um you know with Todd. I think with Todd Latore, it's a rebirth of Queensrank. Um, you know, you're seeing a uh, a vocalist that has an intense, awesome vocal range, as well as you know an accomplished musician. He's a great drummer, um, guitar player, um, and he's he's. Definitely, a, you know, a shot of adrenaline in the arm. I think uh, it's great. You know, he doesn't just stand on stage. and You know, he actually moves around and jumps around and, you know, has a good time. He's very, you know, very energetic. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, you can tell when we play live, you know, the band is uh, playing together and clicking, you know, like we did a long, long time ago. So it's really exciting. Okay, Michael, um, I warned you that uh, I was going to ask you to introduce a song. So, uh, what have you got for us? Um, Here's a, a track from the Conditioned Human album. This is called Hellfire.
This is Michael Wilson from Queensryche, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Welcome back to the program, and we are returning with Charlie Benante uh, from Anthrax. Now, I want to ask you about worship music because I think when when your last record, it was uh, now four years ago, I think now, um, maybe almost, it can't be five, is it five? Um, the, the, everyone kind of... You know, it was recognised um, as uh, a classic, really. And I think I think you guys probably knew when you were putting it out that it was something special. But can you tell us a little about it? And it got a Grammy nomination. Um, but I remember I interviewed um, um, Scott and, and and Rob in Sydney when it when it came out, and they said, "I said, well, how big can this record be?" And they said, "Well, ask Metallica. You know, like look how big the Black Album was, or you know, Thrash can." make a lot of, you know, sell a lot of records, but I guess we've learnt that that's not the case anymore, is it, as far as record sales, and, and you're involved in the band away from just being the, you know, I'd say just, but away from being in the band as a musician, you're involved behind the scenes, so the business model's really changed a lot, hasn't it, as far as record sales are concerned? Oh, yeah, uh, drastically. Every year, every year it gets worse, you know. Um, that business model that was created years ago just does not work anymore. And as a matter of fact, I just saw this documentary on uh, on Tower Records, and it made me sad because um, I miss Tower Records. Uh, I miss going to those stores and spending time in there and just discovering this and just discovering that. Mm. Um, you know, kids nowadays, they'll never have that experience that we all had. Mm. Um, which was a great fucking experience. Like, I always think about that. Like, these experiences that people are missing mm. just because the times change. Um, when will playgrounds be replaced? Because there's, you know, they just need the space mm. for for other things, you know? Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's sad. It's but really sad. Even between, I mean, even between the last record and this, I guess... You know, do you change um, your barometer of if something's working? In the in the old days, you go, well, I know this is working because it's getting airplay, or I know this is working because we've sold a lot of records or whatever. Um, do you know? You know, you've obviously stuck to your guns on this record. I've only had the opportunity to listen to it two or three times, but it's not like uh, you've gone, oh, well, we need to change anything. So, do do you actually the things that you use to judge? What you should do next time? Have they changed along with the business model changing? You know. No, as a matter of fact, if anything, it's made me work harder. Mm. Um, uh, and 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 a, a big thing for me is like not making a record that just has five killer songs and the rest are just throwaways. Um, I don't really follow that model. Mm. Uh, I know there's a lot of bands that do that. They make records just so they can go on tour. Uh, and I just don't agree with that. I, I I would rather spend three years making a record than making something that is just from start to finish takes our takes our fans on a musical journey. And there's no we didn't trim away anything. We kept it all fucking you know the best of what we can do. And mm. I, I just think that's important. And 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 one of the other things too. So many songs in this record. Are long, mm. um, and I remember having this discussion with some of the guys, some of the guys in the band too, about shortening the songs. And I'm like, for what? Like, <laughs> what? What is the reason we would shorten a song? Like, like major radio and stuff like that are not going to play this. Mm. So if a song wants to be six minutes long, let the fucking song be six minutes long. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this and and can you, I know every interview you probably get, so you get asked about this. I'll let you. Uh, we'll keep it short about about your um, carpal tunnel and blah blah blah. But can you just give us an update as to sort of what the prognosis is for the shows over the next twelve months? Um, you looking like you're going to be able to play in most of them, or has anything changed from what we've already read? Well, I'm I'm on tour right now, doing mm. this tour in America with us and Lamb of God. Mm. Um, when I get past the point of uh, three weeks, my hand starts to get fatigued and then, and then starts to suffer. And I just, just need to take a break from it. That's all. Mm. And, you know, our good friend, John Deddy, who's a killer drummer, he will come in and fill in for some shows for me. And then I'll bounce back right after that, you know? And 
unfortunately, that's the way uh, it's going now. You know, mm. we're not all twenty-something years old anymore, yeah, yeah. and this this abuse that I've given <laughs> my body throughout the years, uh, yeah, it catches up. It know? cost you a trip to Oz, and I'm Australian. A lot of our listeners are Australian. It cost you a trip to Oz at one point. Huh? Are you determined that it's not going to cost you another trip? <laughs> yes, I definitely want to come down and, and play some shows in Australia. Uh, it's one of my favorite places. It's like America without the Americans. <laughs> okay, another song. Um, now, I, I, I normally don't guide the guests, but I've got a question about another song, so maybe we should make it the next one we play. I promise I'll, I'll let you choose the third one with no guiding at all. <laughs> but um, but Zero Tolerance, um, I wonder... You know what 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 that's about, and I, I also noticed that um, you know I've I got to mention Phil Anselmo's in the news at the moment. I wondered if the topics are related in some way. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather keep my uh, my opinions about that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what what about the song? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, zero tolerance is basically. What the song is talking about is basically having zero tolerance for any of this. Mm. We just won't, you know, not going to tolerate any of it anymore. Mm. Um, and it's, I find in this in this world that we live in um, that you know that sense of you know zero tolerance is just it, it's gotten so crazy here um, as far as. Uh, Things uh, uh, with the police in different in different states, how the police are getting away with so many things that it's just like I can't believe. Every week it was like something else that was mm. coming out. You know, um, we shouldn't. You know, we should have zero tolerance over certain things like that. We should have zero tolerance from you know terrorism in our own countries. Mm. You know. Exactly, and, uh, and but our our like I said, our country now is so divided with so many people who just want to make a name for themselves, and I don't know if they're doing it for the right reasons for the country. I think they're doing it for themselves. The truth of humanity's far from insane. Its focus is cruel. It's heartbreaking pain. Reason to hate a savage decision is not hard to make. Family and friends dare to threaten what's mine. Kill motherfuckers for crossing the line. Tighten the noose round my life, and I choose murder and mayhem because I'm worse than you.
Charlie from Anthrax, and you are listening to White Line Viva. It's the third segment. It's our uh, rugby league segment. Before I introduce our extremely special guest, don't forget to join us on Twitter, WL Podcast, White Line Viva uh, Podcast on uh, Facebook. And also, um, I was listening to a podcast on the way down in the car, and what they do is they read out their iTunes reviews to encourage you to do an iTunes review. So, uh, back to the drawing board, gave us five stars and said there's not two better things in life than rugby league and rock and roll. And with that, I will introduce an old rocker himself, Wayne Hemming. How are you, Wayne? Good, uh, Steve. I'm a bit too old to understand what iTunes and Pokemon are, but... uh, Did I I mention Pokemon? No, you didn't, but I'm sure you should have. But... uh, (laughs) No, mate, I'm an old rugby league man, as you know, from way back. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my forte. That's my specialty. And a uh, hundred origins. Now, you know what? I had a terrible feeling when I wrote the column par about you covering your hundredth state of origin game that I'd been I'd been dudded because I'm very poor at mathematics, <laughs> and I, I had this panic that I, that that didn't add up and it wasn't possible. But it is possible, and it's true, isn't it? You covered 100 origin games. Yeah, mate, I've got eight to spare. I could have been 108, but I don't think anybody will ever do 108. 100's a lot. You've got to put in a lot of time, 30-odd years to do that. And like I, I told you, that's, uh, what is it, a couple of years of my life virtually mm-hmm. riding about origin, and it's, uh, it's been a wonderful ride, mate. Met so many wonderful people, so many great memories, a lot of great journos like yourself and a lot of the guys that I work with when they were coming through the ranks. So it's, it's just been terrific. Right, and I might break an exclusive on your show that I'm probably going to announce my retirement soon, so that's a, that's a special scoop for you, Mate, Steve. I remember we're here at Suncorp Stadium, actually, and I remember we had the old press box over there on the other side. That was 10 years ago. It was No, no, more than 10 <laughs> years ago, and I remember you announcing your retirement one night in there. Yeah, it's hard to retire, mate. <laughs> you can't come back once you retire, so you have to be sure of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, now, you, you, your first origin, you were working for AAP when you covered it, were you? That's correct, yeah. yeah. yeah and which one was that? Which one what? Which one was it that you covered, your first one? 1980, mate. The very day first one. one. Yeah, day, day one. Look, the memories of that are, are not real clear. It wasn't uh, It wasn't like it is today. It wasn't a phenomenon. It was a bit of an experiment. And people went along with a bit of trepidation about how it worked out. But we all know how the history's panned out, how Queensland won that night and set the scene for, for what's probably one of the best sporting clashes in Australian sporting history. What are you, well, we went through in the set of six in the City Morning Herald, your best on-field memories, but what are your best off-field memories of uh, covering 100 Origins? Because we used to have some uh, good times, we had some late nights, didn't we? Oh, mate, Rosie's Bar in, in Sydney was pretty memorable. Uh, some of the things the players would get up to, watching them come back at six in the morning and stagger in and have try to have breakfast and get um, virtually carried onto the bus to the airport. They were, they were some good days, mate. It, wonderful times with some of the, the managers, Dick Tossa-Turner, uh, Mr Minty, you'd meet him, he'd tell some wonderful tales about origin and at the end of uh, end of your chat he'd always slip a Minty in your hand and, and always <laughs> had a great smile and I don't think I've ever met a more passionate Queenslander than, than Dick Turner and Choppy Close, they were, they were outstanding. But you're actually a cockroach, aren't you? Sorry? <laughs> you're from south of the border, aren't you? Do you want me to admit to that? Yeah, I'm from Manly, mate, I was born in Manly and Followed Manly for many years, but then I came up to, to Brisbane in '79. Uh, had had a family up here, and look, I just I just fell in love with the way the Queenslanders played the game. They were a little bit different and more laid back. And my, both my girls, Kelly and Trista, are, are born in Queensland, so made something. It was a natural transition. And when when New South Wales do win an occasional game, which is, which you know doesn't happen too often. I can cheer both of them, but... 100 Origins. Oh, for Wayne Hemmings, amazing man. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. Thank you, later, Wayne. Thank you very much. That was yeah. Alan Langham. No, no, look, uh, and blokes like Alfie and Darren Lockyer and, and a lot of these guys have become quite good friends with and, and I've seen them evolve over the years and it's, it's just good to have that sort of memory. Yeah, I'm you're, getting heckled. You're getting, you're getting heckled. You're in a private box tonight. Um, what are some of the lessons about journalism that Origin has taught you? I remember, I think you always taught me before you go to bed, the night before the game, you always put in a call to each camp, make sure there's been no team changes. And some of those little rules, you do them 100 times and, and, and they seem a waste of time, but on the 101st occasion, you get a story out of it. Yeah, look, back then, <laughs> you know, it was easier for the media back in those early days because there wasn't, there wasn't the sanitation and the... And the restraints that you have now, but you know you could you could go into dressing rooms, you could talk to players, you could talk to them going to the game after the game. Um, but yeah, look, I used to I, the secret to my hundred games was 
going to the pub at five o'clock on Origin night, having about ten schooners, a, a nice big juicy steak, staggering down to the game, and it just flowed from there, mate. But uh, <laughs> these days, journos drink water, and, and they don't do any of that stuff. It's very boring. You never. What, what's the worst? You, okay, how about this one? What is the worst mistake you ever made covering an Origin? Because I remember one time I was doing it for AAP and it went into extra time, or I'm trying to think. There was a, or this fellow, Alan Langer, he kicked a. a uh, he was lining up a kick or something, and I sent the full time score. Um, and, and luckily, the, the, he missed. He went to every news, but went to every new, he obviously wasn't kicking. But you know yeah. what I mean. He kicked a late field goal one time. But well, do you remember making mistakes? You know, Origin night, any big misclangers? Uh, I don't know, mate. I called I called New South the New South Wales forwards a pack of troglodytes <laughs> once in my sports editor. Old Billy Allen went off his brain and to ask me if I knew what troglodytes were, and I, I just said they were cavemen or something. And, and I uh, got to pay for that. But the worst was down in Sydney with. Uh, Steve Ricketts drinking out of Parramatta one night and, and I went home and I filed a copy and I woke up the next morning and there was a phone call come through that said if I ever filed any rubbish like that again I wouldn't have a job and I, I don't even remember what I filed so <laughs> I learnt that you don't absolutely smash yourself the night before. And when there was that uh, byline by Wayne Bennett of AAP, yeah. was that an origin story? Uh, I'm not sure mate but we can make it an origin story yeah, by, by uh, Wayne Bennett of AAP and some one of the subs in Sydney rang up and uh, checked it with, uh, with the Brisbane Bureau and they smart ass said, yeah that's right Wayne Bennett works for AP up here so it went out, went out on the wires so yeah I've ghosted a column for Wayne Bennett who I might add is you know fantastic coach despite what everybody thinks about him <laughs> Now um, so you said you, you don't mean that you're retiring from covering Origin do you? Yeah I do mate right. I will tell you probably the best one of the best Origin stories I ever heard was um, when Tony Durkin slips past us here and leaves my ear alone, um, uh, was, uh, I think it was 1983, and Tosser was the team manager, and uh, Tosser rang the, the then Senator Ron McCall and said, Ron, we've got a problem, we've got three players in the camp who won't sign these loyalty contracts that you've got. And Senator Ron just said, who are they? And he said, uh, Rod Morris, uh, uh, Mark Murray, and... Gene Miles and the Senator said well there'll be three replacements for them at the hotel tomorrow morning at nine o'clock if they haven't signed <laughs> so um, that's how the great late Ron McCorth operated and uh, that's the sort of standard that Queensland have set mate you know they they do things for the team. I do want to ask you this all, covering all those origins do you still find yourself getting caught up in the emotional issues like the presentation thing last week or do you find yourself having the sort of uh, professional distance as a journalist you just go oh, another one of these stories I've written this story 27 times or do you actually find yourself getting worked up and angry about origin stuff still you know oh, mate I'm not as professional as you Steve I don't get those good stories I didn't see that happen uh, at game three in Sydney to be honest um, I was too busy I had my head down and I heard about it a bit later but yeah look um, when I used to work for AP it was very intense I used to have to file four, five, six stories a night in the early days by yourself now there's uh, multiple journalists working for those organisations but yeah no I don't lose any sleep over any story I don't get um, I get like any other journalist I get stories that other people don't get and it all balances out mate yeah 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 but I mean like as a as a Observer, do you ever go? That's a disgrace, or do you get really oh, emotional about the actual the the issues, or do you actually do you go? Oh, I've seen it all before. I've seen it all a thousand yeah, times. You know, it's yeah. just a, it's just a story. It's just banter. You know, do you, yeah. do you still get fired up? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think after you see a hundred origin stories and you and you look across and blokes are absolutely blowing up and going off their brain in the <laughs> in the press room, you just go, mate, what do you want about? Just wait for another eighty origin. You won't give a rat's ass about that that mission. You know, I mean, when I started out, there was you know, Peter Falingos, Ray Cheston, Clarko, all, all those great journalists, and, and they were pretty fiery in the press room. Yeah. You don't see that too much these days with the, with the media, but, yeah, no, look, I, mate, I just, I just brush it all aside. It's only a rugby league game after all. Wayne, thanks for joining us. You've been an inspiration and a huge help to me in my career, so um, I want to thank you for that on a personal level, and on um, behalf of the listeners, thanks for covering Origin, and we look forward to the next 100. Good on you, Steve. Thanks very much. Congratulations on your marriage to Sarah. Thank you, thank you. And commiserations to her. And here's some new music from the Screaming Jets.
G'day, I'm Dave Gleeson. And I'm John Brewster. And we're from the Angels. And we're on White Lion Fever. <laughs> Welcome back to the program, and our next guest has a new record coming out. Uh, it's Aaron Jonathan Black from Scorpion Child. How are you, Aaron? Very, very well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. So, um, I'm really fascinated by um, re- reading about the premise behind... Um, behind Acid Roulette, it's, it seems like a, a really involved scenario and a lot of sort of almost method acting involved in uh, coming up with the writing of the songs. Uh, um, it's not quite a rock opera, but um, I won't try to explain it to the listeners. Can you can you explain it uh, to them? Yeah, I mean, there's, it's just it's a concept album for sure. I mean, rock opera, it is not <laughs> written to be one continuous piece. Yes, it, it, it does have a, a rather involved story, and I'm always I'm I'm continually learning more about that story uh, with talking to people and hearing what their version of the story is. Like, makes this a much bigger thing than I thought it would originally be, even. Um, which is exciting. I mean, there's like three or four different concepts that are coming together at this point about, you know, regarding the story. But basically, it's a, it chronicles the life of a man who's a traveler and a writer who comes home to find out that his wife is not only, she has a, she's having an affair with another man, and uh, he has, they have two children together, her, her, him and his wife. And uh, this this man's a very rich and powerful man, and he has um, figured out he's he's figured out a way to frame uh, the subject, who's the husband, uh, to get him to confess to a murder, and he ends up uh, going to trial and getting put away for for life, and so th- he could be happy with this subject man's wife and take the kids away from this this man. So it's basically about a guy who's imprisoned and has lost everything that he's ever loved and the the different uh, moods that he goes through throughout the course of uh, a 12-month period, 12 songs on the record, three songs uh, per season, broken into four different seasons uh, over a 12-year uh, period that he's incarcerated, so his, his his insanity just continues to his mind continues to unravel, and basically it's from that perspective that this album's written from. And is this your idea, Aaron? Yes, it is. Right, but you're saying that you're learning more about it. So is that from other people's interpretations? Yeah, interestingly enough, yeah, and excitingly enough, yeah, I'm finding different, uh, some people hear hear, and through the story they hear like a a political leaning almost, like, you know, what's going on with the elections here in in America and even abroad, you know, like how things are just changing in the the political atmosphere of the world and, and but I mean, you know, there's a lot of detail that goes into their interpretation that I won't get into. Mm. But I can I can almost see how that can relate. So you know, with the hierarchy of wealth and and and, dis- and distribution of of money, yeah. in the world and what it does people, you know. I mean, so there's different slants that I've seen this story could have, and it's exciting to me. <laughs> Where did the original inspiration come from? Dreams, um, and you know, life circumstances, things that were going on in my head. Um, and uh, hearing the musical fabric woven in with the, these ideas, it just kind of fell out of the sky into my lap, you know. Mm. You know we, we we weren't out fishing one day and caught a fish and opened up its mouth, and there's the idea <laughs> sitting right there in its mouth, you know. How um, yeah. how did the band respond? Was it to to the idea of doing a concept record? Well, I think that these guys understand that every record that I write for is is going to be conceptual in one way or another. Mm. There, there's a whole, I see the whole pie rather than a collection of songs, which is like one piece of the pie. Mm. 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 Like I see music in like a 
it's hard to explain. Like I, I, there's images involved when I hear so ever since I was an infant, it was like a, you know, what when I see a song, I see shapes and I see colors and personality. Wow! Well, wow! Well. It sounds, sounds like a sounds like an Aaron LSD trip, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating. It's definitely um, weird. Yeah. Um, let's have a song. Let's. I said we'd uh, play uh, some songs. Uh, what's the first one we're going to play? Uh, play "My Woman in Black." Is there a story behind it? Yeah, that's actually the third song on the album. So it's the end of the the autumn season, the end of the fall season, mm. and it's going into winter. And it's kind of his uh, his point in the in the grievance process where he's, uh, you know, he's recalling the first time that he ever laid eyes on the love of his life, which is his wife. And how he'd finally realized that you know, that was the only woman he could ever see loving, and it kind of describes their introduction together.
This is Aaron Jonathan Black, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Welcome back to the program. Our next guest, how about this, it's Cherie Curry. How are you, Cherie? Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Steve, for having me. I'm so glad to be with you. Now, you, you've, you, you're a writer, which is awesome, uh, because uh, so am I, but also you're a, uh, um, a musician and a chainsaw artist, which I know is very quirky, and I love that sort of stuff on TV. How do you kind of split your time? I mean, do you just kind of become a musician when the gigs come up or do you work at it every day you make sure that you do a little bit of all three or at all times no that, that hasn't been the way it has been for me as far as singing i i, I don't uh, even warm up if it's just so funny i just have <laughs> always been able to just sing uh and uh i've been a being a chainsaw artist for the last 15 years i really put the music behind me i would do shows here and there but it was the movie the runaways that uh Joan invited me to open for her at a pretty large gig, which I did, and and I got a, I got offered a record deal that evening. Wow! After the show, wow! So I just decided that I loved being on the stage again. So uh, Matt Sormack actually was playing with me. Of course, you know him from Guns and Roses and Velvet Revolver, and and he was just amazing. And he uh, he and I made a record together with uh, a bunch of cool stars. In fact, the Veronicas as well. All right, wow. on a few songs. Uh, what what great gals they are. Wow, wow. And, um, yeah, and, and uh, you know, Billy Corrigan from Smashing Pumpkins wrote a duet, and, of course, Slash and Duff were on it, as well as even Juliet Lewis. So that album's coming out in September. But, uh, you know, I just... Uh, I just got so excited, I even forgot what the question was. No, I, did. I was talking about how your answer was far more interesting than my question, so forget the question. <laughs> um, how, this, how did you get all these guys involved on the record? How does it work? Well, it was Matt, because I've been out of the music business for so long, but all of these wonderful artists, Brody Dale as well, really wanted to participate in this record. And uh, I little did I know how much the Runaways had influenced uh, so many people, and I really that made me feel so good. Um, but then that record was shelved for five years. Wow! So now uh, I went on tour on my own. I left my management and uh, went on tour and did four tours of the U.S. and in Canada, and went and just did a, a tour of the U.K which in November, which was awesome, made a live record uh, with Susie Quattro guested on this live record that I did. <laughs> wow. I mean, what an amazing experience that was. And um, so now I've got to my live album coming out when I'm going to see you guys, and I've got, to, uh, you know, the Blackheart record with Matt Storm coming out in September, supposedly. So it's, a, it's called Blackheart, which is no coincidence with Joan. It's just a coincidence, or is it? No, it's the label. We have a oh, right. Black Heart Records. You're on Black Heart Records. Sorry. So what's, so what's the album called and why have you managed to get it out there now after it's been shelved for so long? Well, they wanted to put it out now. Oh. So I negotiated with them instead of my lawyer who I had to let go. Two lawyers, actually. It just was taking too long. And then I went and did my tours and came back and decided that I would negotiate the deal. And, uh, and so I did. And and I'm really happy because it's a really cool album, and I just really didn't expect it to see the the light of day. So fingers crossed, uh, you know, it'll come out. I don't know the title of it yet, mm. so we will see. We will see. So, uh, what song can we play first, Sheree? Well, well, why don't you, uh, for fun, why don't we do a runaway song that I did on Reverie, "American Nights" with Lita Ford and me.
I got a white line fever. Going down, land down under. Going to turn around the corner, way down yonder. And I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore. Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever. You get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck. That's what I say, okay? <laughs> come on down and rock on.